Hello and welcome to the Rank and Flank podcast. My name is Finton, uh, and these are my co-hosts AJ. Hello. And Tim. Good evening. How are you guys doing today? Oh, uh, you know, pretty good, pretty good for a Monday, all things considered. Uh, it's a great day, apart from you saw back. Uh, it's a good day to record a show. We're going to be talking about uh, the tournament that we went to in uh, Underworld Gaming uh, just last Saturday. Yes, the first Irish Old World tournament. Terribly uh, exciting. <laughs> well, it's a thousand points. It can only get so exciting. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to be discussing the campaign that we've just gotten underway uh, in our own store, uh, as well as characters uh, and unit roles in The Art of War, uh, and characters and centerpiece models in uh, Hobby Horse. Tournament Zone. All right, so we're going to be moving into the Tournament Zone, uh, which is a section we haven't done on this podcast. Uh, it's just we're going to be discussing uh, tournaments, how uh, any tournaments we've been to recently, and just how we feel about tournament scene, that kind of thing. Yep, and uh, indeed any tournaments coming up we'll announce. So uh, I guess if you have a tournament that you're running... Uh, let us know, and we'll we'll talk about it on the nep- next episode. Um, we're mostly focused on tournaments in Ireland. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, happy to give a shout out to anyone, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, the tournament we went to uh, was called Breakpoint, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was in Underworld Gaming. Uh, it was a 1,000-point event. We played three games over one day. Uh, what did you think about it? I think for its intention, it nailed it. And the intention was to get us all to play Warhammer for the first time, play three games, and learn the rules. Uh, and that's what I did, you know? Absolutely. Um, what but, armies did you guys take up? Uh, I brought Wood Elves. I brought Warriors of Chaos. Um, and uh, my Wood Elves were... I, I basically took a little bit of everything. I took a Tree Man Ancient... Um, I took uh, a noble on a warhawk, um, some glade guards, some dryads, some war dancers, and some wild riders, and even a great eagle. So a very small number of these things to try and fit into a thousand points, um, just to kind of see what they all did on the battlefield. Yeah, and I brought kind of the opposite of that a little bit. Uh, I brought two units of Chaos Warhounds, a big block of Chaos Warriors, and a sorcerer in there. Uh, and I brought a unit of Chosen Chaos Knights, who were absolutely devastating, uh, and a Chaos Giant. Uh, and what I found was that with all the things in the list other than the Warriors being move six and above, the Warriors kind of got left behind, especially considering that every game I played was against Dwarves. Yeah, um, that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> there were three Dwarf players. Every All three of my games were against Dwarves. Yes, and weirdly, uh, I had the, a very similar experience. Uh, there were three Bretonian players, and all three of my games were against Bretonia. Um, there were three very different armies and three very different games, um, but I, I was hoping to see more of uh, other units in order to kind of get a better feel for the game. Ah, well. Um, at the end of the day, I feel like I learned a bunch 
um, going back over my games and, and thinking about what rules I missed or, or learning rules in the middle of the game, um, stuff like that. Yeah. I did not use the, uh, gaze of the gods table once during all three of my games, which Oops. I absolutely forgot. Whoops. The main thing I took away from this, uh, event is that giants are awesome. Yep. Uh, and that monsters, I think, in general, are going to be great. Yeah. And also, I don't want to fight dwarves again. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think you should fight dwarves again. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think you should fight them next week. But um, it's a great plan. <laughs> we've got. How useful do you think um, Gaze of the Gods would have been in your games? To be honest, it probably wouldn't have made much of a difference. Uh, the one game that I ended up losing. I lost pretty soundly, and the only character that I would have ended up using Gaze of the Gods on would have been out of combat for the entire time. Right, fair enough. So it just would have made his unit stupid rather than frenzied. Like, it's not a huge deal. Yeah, because I think on the roll of a one, you get... You become stupid for yeah. the rest of the game, yeah. Which um, which is pretty bad, but I think it's definitely better than, I think, the uh, chaos tables of the past where you could end up becoming a chaos spawn. Or... Yeah, on a double one, yeah. Yeah. Um, or uh, descending to demon princehood, you know, because you definitely have that model ready. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, just, sorry, your point made me think, uh, if you are frenzied and you get stupidity, you're still frenzied. Oh, yes. But if you fail your leadership test, you don't have to declare a charge because you're stupid. Interesting. Because you, you just walk forward, you can't declare a charge because you're not able. Right. So the frenzy, you're like, hmm. Okay, fair enough. The stupidity. Too stupid to be angry. Too stupid to be angry at that point. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think I agree with what you said. Uh, I think monsters are going to be um, more uh, prevalent in this edition um, because, especially because ridden monsters are no longer like kind of treated as a weird two-piece model. They're now just one model with the expanded profile and loads of wounds. Loads of wounds. Loads of extra toughness. Um, I um, I brought the Tree Man Ancient. Um, she uh, survived all three games despite taking many, many charges from lances. Um, thankfully, nobody brought flaming lances. But <laughs> um, uh, So, yeah, very good at holding on to her points. Um, and I, I had originally intended to take her with the lore of Athaloran and cast tree singing, which was a spell that brings a forest into existence. Um, and sadly, the, the, so this was a good tactic in the past um, where you could put a forest in front of a unit and, and, then, and then it was difficult for them to charge or even declare a charge, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now it's just a remains in place spell. So in the strategy phase, and that's when you dispel remains in place spell. So before you have to declare charges, goodbye forest and now i can see everything again and so yeah i played a game just the other day against dark elves with dark magic uh and they uh, got phantasmagoria which is another magical vortex yeah uh which remains in play uh placed down the template uh they tried to uh get my units to make to either run away or charge impetuously uh, and then every turn i just dispel it before it could do anything yeah yeah, so I think I think uh, w what really came through for me was how good the assailment spells are, uh, and particularly Hammerhand um, on that Tree Man Ancient. 
um, I actually went out and, and I figured out that, um, so she has a stand and shoot um, because of her strangle root attack. Oh, neat. D6 plus one multiple shots at strength five. Um, and, uh, and then she can also do up to eight strength five hits in combat if she's lucky um, because of Thunderstomp and her, her um, three whack and stuff like that. Uh, and she's tough six and six wounds and you know really hard to take down and so i was very impressed with that um and uh you know on the opposite end i was kind of depressed with uh how the dryads are now they're they're kind of wimpy they they don't stick around for very long um i'm not sure how to use them anymore so i've got to experiment who even are you anymore exactly um would you think that maybe taking um some spearmen might get in get into that role a little bit better uh i think the uh wood elf spearmen are the absolute worst like this is the eternal guard are they like 14 points a model or something they're expensive and and they die to a stiff breeze yeah toughness three with five upon her save yep and for so many points yeah I uh, I don't know. I mean, I reserve judgment until we start playing games at uh, at a you know two thousand two and a half thousand sort of point scale. Yeah, especially since these games were all just uh, kill as many models as you can. And that's your victory points. Well, it, it, more or less, there was one that we played that was um, break point point break point. Yeah, it was. It was, it was called break. It was a break point. Well. Yeah. Um, breaking point. Breaking yeah. point. Yeah. You had to get um, down to twenty five percent of right. your starting unit strength, and then whoever did that first lost entirely yes lost entirely but again that's just kill, kill all everything. the models yeah just a different flavor of it yeah that's true um so the whole or, or uh tournament was organized by um andy from mediocre hobbies um he has a youtube channel um i got to play him in the second game he's a very nice chap um and he made a little uh forward arc tw- um widgets for everybody um which was nice very useful. Um, yeah, and and essential for playing. Uh, Absolutely for playing Warhammer. So, uh, I passed. Uh, I, I have a bunch of them, so I passed mine along to somebody else at our game store that didn't have one. Um, so, uh, thank you, Andy. <laughs> um, yeah, overall, um, I ha- I had a blast. You know, it was great to play three games back to back and really get a feel for the game again. Absolutely, I also really enjoyed it. It was a very fun time. All right, moving into the campaign corner. Uh, We've started our campaign properly now. Yay! Played a couple games, done a bunch of turns in Mighty Empires. Uh, Just wanted to go over exactly how all of that's working. Uh, Because it's not exactly any one specific system. We've kind of made a Frankenstein of a couple different things. I'd also like to talk about the objective of the uh, whole campaign, just the flavor of it. Yeah, but. so, I, I, I mean, I think it's important, like, we're, we're doing this campaign to play more games of Warhammer um, and just to have a feeling of meaning behind the, the games that we're playing. And so far, uh, I think it's working. Absolutely. I think there's a lot to improve on, but I think it's definitely working. <laughs> Oh, it's led to games, so... Sure has. Yeah. I think that's one objective absolutely nailed. Yep. So, uh, this campaign, we have been fighting over an inland sea. That is the uh, objective of our game. Uh, At the end of this campaign, we're going to have a big multiplayer battle 
uh, and whoever controls the most tiles around this inland sea we have on our map uh, is going to get a large advantage. We haven't exactly nailed down the specifics of how that's going to work, but it's just a way to get us all into the center fighting uh, battles for the next couple months. Uh, we had a couple of those battles, um, but uh, just yesterday, uh, those went interestingly. Yep. Uh, the independent settlements that we were trying to quickly envelop into our empires managed to soundly defeat the, the attackers. <laughs> in one instance, by wiping them out to the last man, and in another, by, uh, well, uh, do you want to tell them about the uh, the tree man? Oh, yeah. So I was I was playing as uh, independent uh, defenders of a city as wood elves. And uh, um, the dwarven army was shooting everything because there was this nice killing field in the middle. Uh, and uh, Ben's unit of hammers with his king in it uh, looked... Uh, I think they were iron breakers. Iron breakers? With yeah. The, iron breakers, yes, that's right. Iron breakers. With the, they... Uh, they looked the same from a distance. So short, you know. <laughs> In fact, the dwarves kind of look the same close up, <laughs> to be fair. Well, they're, they're all just armor and beards, right? Armor, beard, and weapons. Very shiny. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they, uh, um, the, the tree man ancient um, hero of the hour, she declared a charge uh, on that unit, uh, and they failed their leadership test. And at leadership 10. At leadership 10. They rolled an 11. There was no BSB because it was only 1,000 points. Uh, no veteran. No nothing. We looked at all, we looked at everything. Surprisingly, Ironbreakers are not immune to psychology. Yeah. And they turned tail and ran. And being dwarfs, um, you know, they only ran like, uh, I think, six inches. And my tree lady... They ran five inches away. Uh, and they were already six inches away. Yes. Tree lady rolled a 12-inch charge. Yes. And caught them. And wiped them out to a dwarf. Yep. Um, and so that basically <laughs> tipped the game in in one roll, uh, well, two rolls. Uh, but yes, the the terror for the first time actually that was uh, uh, that was the fourth game I played where uh, that was the first time terror had an impact on the game. But wow, what an impact! So um, uh, Ben, my opponent, was a great sport about it. He thought it was hilarious. Um, but ouch! Indeed. Uh, and after the battles, we, uh, well, uh, seeing as none of our Mighty Empire's banners that we have are actually representing individual forces of individual factions, because we want everyone to be able to play whatever they can, whenever they can, uh, we had to come up with some rules for resolving casualties and uh, having characters take injuries and that sort of thing. So what we came up with is, after the battle, every model that died... Except for characters, you roll a d6, and on a 4+, plus they live. Otherwise, they die, and their points are removed from the banner. Uh, characters, there's a table from an uh, 8th edition supplement called Blood in the Badlands, uh, which we're using for our injury table. When characters are removed, you roll a d6 on that, and it's got a whole bunch of results there. Uh, in the game I played against Dark Elves, uh, my giant headbutted a... Uh, a I think it was a blood crone or something like that. I don't know dark elf character names. The witch elf champion. Uh, witch elf character, yeah. The hag. Yeah. Yeah. Blood hag, I think it was called. Something like that. Yeah. Head uh, after the game, you rolled, uh, you rolled a psychological injury and gained stupidity. Uh, That's so appropriate. <laughs> yep. So he's going to paint her up with a big purple bruise on her head. <laughs> nice. Uh, 
in addition, we uh, rolled for Spoils of War uh, for the winning side. Uh, or at least we would have if they weren't both settlement garrisons. Oh, okay. Uh, and the Spoils of War are another table from Blood in the Badlands, which gives you various things from uh, bonus magic items for one of your units or characters uh, to gaining hatred against uh, the faction that you just beat or getting some extra troops. Cool. Uh, and then the defeated side also rolled uh, on the uh, ignominious defeat, I believe it was called, that table. <laughs> uh, the Dark Elves uh, in the next battle against Chaos will have hatred against all of them. Nice. Uh, very. Because uh, it was an ignominious defeat. Yes. So they're like, we'll get you next time. Exactly. Very uh, Dark Elfy. Very Dark Elfy. Uh, it was a very flavorful uh, thing for just our first games. Yep. The scenarios we ran was uh, from the Kings of War. Uh, tournament pack, I believe. Yeah, so um, I wanted to kind of have scenarios. The two battles represented um, banners attacking cities on the map. Uh, and so yeah. we wanted to have the feel of the game be that these were invaders coming to kind of occupy territory. Um, and so um, I chose the occupy um, scenario from Clash of Kings. Um I think it was 2018, uh, which, you know, it can be described pretty simply. You have three uh, objective markers on the center line um, spread apart, and uh, they're worth one point each. And uh, an objective marker in each deployment zone, the one in your own deployment zone is worth zero to you, but two to your enemy. Um, so you've got a total of five points you can potentially have. Um, and uh, you basically you fight over those objectives over the course of the game. It's great because it definitely simulates you know an an invasion happening. For the uh, um, objective marker in in uh, the invaders deployment zone, uh, for us uh, we had a hostage. So uh, nice. yeah, we took a, a a model of Draco that I have a, a branch wraith, and uh, he put a. He put a, a giant slayer model with her holding her hostage, and that was the objective. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I love the flavor of it, and it just made the battle more fun. Yeah. Um, so I think in the future, we can actually add even more flavor on top of that, where we have things like actual characters who do get captured, uh, who we can try and rescue, mm. which is another thing for Blood in the Badlands. I love that idea. Uh, we can also have things like caches of magic items. Uh, in objectives where you get you know d6 times 20 points of magic items in your next battle uh if you uh yep. hold this that was an idea from ben on the discord yeah nice um i'm looking forward to uh exploring the uh empty tiles to see if i can turn up a mine or a wizard's tower or something fun like that um so that we have some of these interesting locations to fight over Perhaps a uh, ancient necropolis filled with uh, tomb kings. Oh no! <laughs> and powerful magic items. Yes. <laughs> Very are we, exciting. Are we going to put the map up um, on the website? Yes. Yes. So yes. we can see the progress of. Yes, the map. By the time you hear this, uh, the map will be on the website, um, and it'll be up to date as of uh, our last play today, which. Um, has taken us through four months? Four, four months, yes. Four months of the first year in Mighty Empires. So, uh, and uh, you play six months in the year, and then 
through the remaining six months is the winter phase, as it's called, where you collect income from all your settlements, uh, buy new armies, and cast get, magical get, spells. And get started for kicking butt again the next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good fun casting uh, Equinox spells on each other, I think. <laughs> we'll see if we can find a wizard tower before then. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. See what happens. Yeah. yeah hopefully I'll be able to take to the field as well. Mm. Yes. Um, the and- dwarves are acting um, instead of me. But I believe that I've got to owe a shout out to Ben for fighting honorably and with valor. And, uh, you know, a lot of his troops survived, so the banners didn't take a, a lot of damage, which was good. Um, even though they didn't survive on the battlefield, like they, they were they were routed rather than destroyed. Yes. Uh, units that are fleeing off the field, should be noted, uh, do not uh, have, to make casualty have to make casualty rolls. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and yeah. another thing to note, uh, war machines, if they flee or are or they have their crew killed, then they are destroyed because you can't carry the giant cannon with you when you're running at full speed away. That's true. Which is something that happened in uh, my game against the Dark Elves. Ah, yeah. I, uh, I don't think I got to Ben's organ gun in the end. It was just too far away and parked at a hill. That was his one thing that he was happy about, I think he said. <laughs> It was a good day. Yeah, for sure. Lots of fun battles to be fought. And we've got more uh, in the coming weeks. Yep. Some more cities invaded. Yep. Um, we've got a pitched battle in a, uh, on the coast between order and destruction. Yep. Uh, I think we've got four, four battles to fight next week. Yep. Yeah, so just to recap, so that was two battles against um, independents and up and coming... The uh, the alliances have actually uh, met each other. Yes, the first uh, first meeting of banners on the on the open battlefield. Yep. However, as um, we failed to um, capture the independent villages, uh, similar battles will be taking place. But yep. this time, chaos will be getting involved in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am grabbing one of the order villages so I can raise it on the west coast of the uh, of the inland sea. Which we do need to name at some point. The sea? Yeah. Yes, oh, we should. It will be named um, when it's won. Mm. Oh, yeah. that's That should be the prize, to yeah. name the Inland yeah. Sea. I mean, you can't really name a place that has been raised. So. It's yeah. true. <laughs> you can name it the Ruins of. <laughs> <laughs> the Hobby Horse. All right. So, moving into the Hobby Horse section. Uh, we're to talk a bit about characters today. Uh, they're... Big models, very cool models. Uh, I just wanted to talk about how you should uh, treat painting them compared to uh, painting rank and file models, uh, because they're you know they're a different sort of model, I guess. Um, well, this isn't really going to blow anyone's socks off. Okay. Um, but guess what? What? It's going to blow your socks off. <laughs> right. So you bro- just said it wouldn't. You liar! No, I didn't. I uh, I I misdirected. I think is <laughs> what Spock said, and he is incredibly logical and probably good at painting miniatures. Mm. Spock's good at most things, <laughs> but um, broadly speaking, um, I think it's a good idea to divide characters in uh, say three types. Um, the first one is NCOs. 
So that would be non-commissioned officers. Effectively, there'd be unit champions and also characters that could be functioning as a unit champion, even if they're a, a lord or hero or something like that. Um, for this type, the thing that isn't going to knock your socks off whilst also knocking your socks off is paint them with the unit that you are painting. Right. Um, they're largely going to be in exactly the same colours, the same armour, um, the same weaponry, but they might have something a little bit more fancy. So, for example, if it's, say, the elven spear champion, if you're doing it from the plastic kit, um, the guy will have a sword. If it's the old metal model, um, it's in the same scale male armour, but I believe that one had antlers, if you remember that miniature. <laughs> I don't remember it. Right. You can look it up later on in yeah, yeah. an old Citadel catalogue or something. Um, I like it. More antlers. The, no, it's more antlers. Yeah, Distracts on the pointiness of the helmets. Um, I mean, the other thing in Command is there's a musician who's going to be dressed in exactly the same clothes, but if he's an Empire State Trooper, will carry a massive drum. Mm-hmm. Um, there's standards which... Well, you They're could, a whole thing to themselves, yeah. yeah. absolutely, but... The actual model part of the model is usually armed and equipped, or at least in the game rules, is armed and equipped, uh, the same as the regiment. Generally, they just have uh, some sort of hand weapon. Yeah, and a great big flag, which they can wield as a spear, or a two-handed weapon. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a really big stick. Yeah, absolutely. But... Um, so obviously one of the things that keeps coming up is you spend more time on characters. With these guys, it it's probably a good idea to spend a little bit um, more time, but only because they have something different about them. So by by virtue of the fact that they are a different manager with the same features as your unit, you will be spending a little bit more time, but not a lot. Um, so you keep them in your assembly line then? Absolutely. Absolutely. But once you've gotten to the end of your block of 20 or maybe in the middle, once you've gotten bored of painting the same piece of armor, you know, work on the mantlers, they have extra swords or whatever. Um, The other thing that I was going to talk about is um, like legendary characters who kind of masquerade as as NCOs. Um, And this would be, for example... um, it's like Nakaf, Emissary, etc. The standard bearer guy from uh, Tomb Kings. Yeah, um, that's an example of one. Um, what I was thinking is um, the Imperial Knight Commanders. Oh, right, like the, the Grand Masters. The Grand Masters, that's right. right. Um, so functionally, they'll be on the same horse. Yeah. Um, so if you're painting the horses separately, it will be on the same horse. And if you don't know who they are... They kind of just look like another dude. They pretty much do look like another dude, although they'll be holding up um, their sword or lance or hammer. Or they'll have their uh, helmet up. Absolutely. That's right, because all the best generals don't wear helmets. No, they wear plot armor instead. (laughs) Um, For some reason, they won't be carrying a lance. They'll have a sword in hand. Um, They just hit way harder with it. Yeah, it's because they have a squire running around somewhere where they can just go Lance. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's My on. name's not Lance; it's Frank. <laughs> Bring me the bloody stick, boy. 
He's off the battlefield. You just have to throw it real hard. <laughs> you think they'd use that for shooting at some point? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good good point. Actually, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of Bretonian knights could quite easily be um, um, legendary heroes, kind of masquerading as an NCO. Yep. Um, so Bretonian knights are all basically like that kind yeah, of level of strength. Absolutely, but. Um, to kind of flip it on its head, um, you might be wanting to spend extra time on your Grail Knights or your other elite units that would have um, these legendary heroes leading them anyway. Yep. Um, so that kind of does it for that. Then you get um, specialists. And these are characters that, whilst you might actually put them within a unit, are not part of the unit. Okay. I'm picking on wizards here. Oh, okay. very specifically. Um, so typically, these would be robed and bearded and somehow not dwarven. Yeah, or or, or scantily clad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with um, some bones and teeth and yep stuff. So, but you're putting them in the unit to, because they need warm bodies around them, not because they're actually part of the unit. Yeah, all right, pretty much. Um, Unless it's uh, orc of some description, um, because you might want to do the skin at the same time as you're doing the rest of the boys. Yes. Get the tones all the same. Yeah. Um, even if you're going to work a little bit more on some of the facial features or muscle features, getting um, getting that part of the model done is is going to be part of the flow of painting the rest of the orc regiment so so in your assembly line for the special characters you're going to want to just get all the parts that are shared between them and the unit they're going into uh all at yeah. once and then if you're printing like a bright wizard to go into a unit of archers or something just do his skin maybe um you could you could certainly do it that way um i know that there are a number of painters who paint the face first they are very brave <laughs> yeah i'd say <laughs> I am not that type of painter. But, um, yeah, if you're a bright wizard. Um, actually, I don't know where I'd start on one of them. Probably the um, the robes and the staff. So you do them outside yeah. of the... Uh... Absolutely. This would be a project of, of its own, or right. could be a project of, of its own, depending on the model and if it bears any similarity to any of the other models in your army. So, for example, uh, Night Goblin Shaman would be um, quite easy to kind of slot into your regular painting schedule and kind of break up the monotony of, like, this is the fifth guy in a hood I've painted. Well, especially the the um, thinking about the basing, like you're going to have the same base for them if they're going in that unit. Yeah. Um, and so you definitely want to make sure that you build a base uh, at the same time you're building the base for the for the rest of the unit. Yeah. We should talk about basing one of these episodes. Yeah, we will. We will. Yeah. Maybe that's next. Maybe that's Absolutely. next. Absolutely. I mean, I think one thing sort of worth pointing out that you might want to be covering later is that these characters, these specialists, um, might not be in the same unit each battle. You might want to chop and change or depending on what happens. Uh, you'll be basing the army, yep. not necessarily the model in the unit. You might just That's paint fair. him alongside a unit just to kind of break up 
the monotony of painting the same dude 50 times. Or, sure. you know, you just um, take time aside and paint him on its own, which is what you would do with what you might want to call a legendary character. Sure. So to move on to that. Big guy riding big monster. Big guy. Now, there's not that many armies that have units of big guys riding big monsters. Yeah, it's just, it's always yeah. a character. It's yeah. Ogres have them. Yeah, 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 sort of. Chariots, I guess, are kind of count, but yeah. chariots do count. Yeah, yeah, but mostly it's it's single unit, small dude on big monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this possibly could be its own thing. Yeah, but um, briefly, don't be afraid to pin these models. Sure, especially the metal ones. Um, I mean, I don't think you can construct a metal model without pinning it, really. Um, I think you can, but it's... Um, you have to be very brave. I don't know about bravery. I think um, it's lots of super glue and swear words. And, and luck, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just talk about briefly what pinning is, in case you've never heard that term before. Yeah. Um, basically, pinning is um, a way of assembling the model so that it stays together after it's been glued. <laughs> right? Yep. Um this will cut down on the amount of super glue and swear words that you use after you've assembled the model and painted it. Um, basically, you're using a type of drill called a pin vise, available in all good and some of the bad model shops. Um, you're drilling a very small hole in the two um, pieces of the model that you want to assemble together. And then you're putting in a small rod. Usually yeah. clipped from a paper clip. Yeah, it could be clipped from a paper clip. You can also buy brass tubing and Yep. Um there's stuff from a garden centre, actually I have no idea what it's called, but I bought um a few of it once. It's lasted you forever. Yeah. <laughs> um it's quite pliable metal. It's got a plastic coating. It's the floral wire or something like that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's got a name. Wow. Um <laughs> As so many things do. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you're, you're, you're not going to be using, say, more than a centimetre of this. Normally about five mil will do. And it will add time to the assembly of the model, but it cuts down on the swearing time once you've taken it to a battle and you, you've found that your bloodthirster's wings have fallen off or... The griffin's claw has fallen off, or the rider has yeah. gone for a ride. Repair time on big models is very annoying. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So take the time yeah. and pin things. I mean, I 100% agree with this. this. is why it's important to kind of just cover off and make sure people know what that means. Uh, it's a little bit extra in terms of time and, and cost because you have to have the tool. But, uh, yeah, it's so, so worth it. But um, yeah, these are the these are the models that you are going to be treating as a project in their own right. So you probably won't be doing them alongside the rest of your army. Um, obviously, there are going to be exceptions to that, which we've pointed out. Um, there's the base, possibly the weapons, faces. But um, really depends on the model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that the big monster is going to have their own part, their, their own hobby horse at some point. Uh, but it's definitely worth 
noting that you should set aside a whole day for them, like a whole project. Yeah, um, I think it's. I think one one session could be assembly, um, all the way up to to undercoat, and then kind of working on bits of it um, at a time. I mean, it's a big yeah. model. It's going to draw the eye, so you definitely want to you know have it look nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, just to riff on that point a little bit, like the 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 big centerpiece character models, like the dragons, um, or you know the big chariot, or or whatever it happens to be, um, I think you you can be a bit more uh, selective in the colors that you're going to use on that um, as a way to kind of you know grab attention, um, because you know if you've got, I mean. It's it's kind of a dark and grim setting, um, and so things almost like it invented the term grim dark or something. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's a, you know it's common to have um, rank and file troops be um, you know quite drab or you know if you've twenty even if you've got you know twenty high elves um, you know painting them all. Uh, once you've painted them all the white and the silver and the blue, even though they're not drab, um, they're, they're kind of a uniform color. Um, and so when you come to painting your centerpiece model, um, you know, it's the thing that everybody's going to look at. So the more eye catching you make it, the more kind of that wow factor you get when people look at your army. Um, you know, when you, when you, you try to camouflage your dragon, uh, it's not <laughs> right. You're doing it wrong. And, yeah. and, you know, while, Unless what else, while there are black dragons, um, you know, I, I would advise if you, if you, unless you really, really, really want a black dragon, you know, go for a different color. Uh, you know, even, you know, a blue or a purple or a red, dark purple dragon. Yeah. Or something that will, that will grab the eye. Um, and, and it can be like a nice contrasty color to the rest of your army if you want it to be, because it's, it's a magical creature, right? You know, it doesn't conform to uniforms and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to go crazy with it to, to kind of really um, make something, uh, in the literal sense of the word, spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if you um, are sticking with your regular army colors for the character, you can you can pick out a few other details, you know, add a couple of stars to the shield um, you know just so that the guy looks like he comes from the army but he is actually a character that um, you do want to stand out it kind of unifies the theme of your army itself makes sense the art of war alright so we're going to be doing art of war now uh I wanted to talk a bit about the uh, role of characters in a gameplay sense, because while they do look very cool and they're very fun to paint, uh, very eye-catching, uh, sometimes like I end up thinking, why would I take this 200-point character who does four attacks when I can just take you know 20 more guys? Uh, or I can take this big monster. What's the point in taking these characters over you know, any other unit in the army? Uh, something I wanted to ask about. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's a really open-ended question um, in general. Uh, but... Well, I can narrow it down then. Sure. 
what is the like well i can change it slightly sure what is the general role of a character versus any given you know core special or rare unit yeah okay so so i think there are three roles that characters can only play uh two maybe probably three uh that only characters can play um and and then uh it really comes down to whether a character is better at playing a particular battlefield role in your army versus uh a unit doing the same thing right um so let's start with the obvious right your general must be a character so uh you got to have one in there uh and uh you know when you're choosing your general um it's really I feel like the general, you've got two ways to go. You can choose the general first and then kind of build the army around them, or you can build the army and then go like, okay, well, what do I want to have leading? Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a whole bunch of thought about, you know, wh how should you kit your general out, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, think, I think generals kind of fall into... I'm going to just put them into two camps. Uh, one is a super fighty general um, whose job is to be out there kicking ass and taking names. And the other is a support general um, whose job is primarily to give a, a leadership bubble um, and and to buff the unit that the general's part of or to be a spellcaster or or whatever else. So, so you've got the clearly fighty and then the uh maybe you know support those are the kind of the two roles for the general um then okay so your character role number one is the general uh number two is the bsb um so what is the bsb the battle battle standard bearer just to make sure i'm uh, you know being uh, in inclusive for everybody who doesn't necessarily know all the lingo actually big stick bearer big stick bearer yeah <laughs> i like it um so the big stick bearer, uh, uh, their job is to give you a reroll within a bubble of their command range, um, and so um, that leadership reroll is is you know massively important. Um, as we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, uh, rerolling uh, uh, if you've got leadership ten, which is the best you can have, uh, still a three in thirty six chance of failing. Right, a one in twelve chance of failing that. Now, but if you have a reroll, that's gone to one in 144. Yeah, way better. Which is huge, right? That's a huge difference. Um, so, so those are your two kind of roles that you have to have characters for. Um, and again, with Battle Standard Bearer, uh, it, it, it kind of comes down to, uh, you know, again, personal preference, how you kit them out. Um, but because they're uh inevitably a hero level character you know they usually have only a 50 point magic item allowance uh they have one less wound etc etc they're never going to be quite so killy or quite so supportive as the others um as the generals sorry um so well, they do get a no points limit magic banner they do um which is significant in some armies and useless in others um i think that you can choose your BSB to be, uh, yeah, exactly that, uh, a magic stick bearer. 
Um, uh, and that's really kind of leaning into the support role for them. Um, you know, typically when you when you give them like an 80 point banner or, you know, something similar, then you're going to use their magic allowance to to give them protective gear. You want to keep them alive because you want to have that bonus from whatever magic item it is that they, or whatever magic standard it is. Um, and so I, I see kind of BSBs predominantly falling into that camp. And then occasionally um, you see them where they're just also a fighty character um, and they're in a unit, usually in a unit with, you know, a general or, an, or another fighty character. Uh, and the unit's probably pretty uh, fighty on top of that. And so it's, it's kind of just a heavy hitting, lots of static combat res um, sort of unit. So, so those are kind of the obvious roles. Um, and then the other one that I said is, is probably has to be a character is the wizard. Um, and I say it probably has to be a character, A, because you don't have to take a wizard. You don't have to have one. Um, well, nor do you have to have a battle standard bearer. You don't have to have a battle standard bearer either. Um, I, think, I think there's an army point value where uh, probably at 1,500 points, I think. Uh, where it, it seems foolish not to have one. Um, but uh, yes, you don't have to have one. Certainly at 1,000 points, uh, uh, nobody took one um, in any of the games that we were playing. Um, and it's the same with a wizard, I guess. Um, but the big difference is that you can theoretically have a unit be a wizard. Like there's a bunch of special units in the, in the game that are also spellcasters. Um, so if you're taking a wizard, it's usually pretty obvious uh, what their job is um, based on what your army is and what lore they can take. Um, and so what, what's, what I'm really liking about this game now is that wizards are no longer complete schlubs in close combat, right? Assailment spells have changed the feel of uh, wizards in close combat a bit. Assuming they get a good assailment spell. Well, and battle magic gives you one as an as a, um, yeah. a signature, signature spell, uh, and lore familiar exists to allow you to take these sorts of things, right? So, yeah. so um, you know, I think we we can probably have a whole discussion about wizards separately. Um, I think knowing what to do with a wizard is usually pretty straightforward, um, and uh, I think kind of. Uh, doesn't need us to spend a whole lot of extra time on. Um, I will just say that, you know, usually you're going for, um, I'm trying to think back to eighth because we really haven't, um, you know, built a whole lot um, in, in this version yet. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the wizard sort of builds are either uh, buffing your unit or debuffing, you know, so making your unit stronger in close combat or trying to do direct damage. These are kind of the two uh, approaches. Um, I, I think that's probably all we need to talk about right now. Yeah. Um, okay, so to get to the main sort of point of the question, and I, I think I had to kind of deal with all of those cases first, which is what are other characters used for? Right. Um, and, and that is really about like general battlefield roles uh, as opposed to, you know, very specific, you can only get this role if, if you're a character. Um, so I think the, the most common 
uh, use for um, for a character is that fast moving um, uh, sort of war machine hunter, chaff hunter, troubleshooter, uh, troubleshooter. Yeah, yeah. The, your blitzer, right? <laughs> um, your your all rounder, usually on something that flies or your fastest uh, sort of cavalry. Um, uh, often, uh, depending on on how many points you're playing, it's often a hero level character. Uh, that you really wish was a lord level character, but you just didn't have the points, um, <laughs> and uh, and usually you want to protect him reasonably well, but you also want to make him reasonably fighty. So um, you know it, it's very much comes down to what's available to your army. Um, frequently they have a, like a lance or a great weapon rather than a magic weapon in order to conserve on the points, and then the points go into uh, uh, protective gear uh, or making him slightly harder hitting in some other fashion. Right. And these won't be your your five hundred point chaos lord riding a dragon or anything. No, no. This is that is very much fighty general camp. What you were just talking about. All right. This is this is your uh, your high elf uh, noble on a great eagle, or your uh, Bretonian um, baron uh, on a hippogriff or a pegasus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. It, it, it's the you you're you're really concerned about maneuverability. Um, and ability to to zip all over the battlefield, and as you say, Tim, uh, troubleshoot, right? Um, there's not much else that can do that in rank and file troops. Um, like that combination of mobility and and hitting power, uh, and tough, like not folding and to survivability yeah. yeah yeah exactly really only comes from a character because like great eagles can do the uh hunting war machines but they just as often tend to die you know right well i mean they're they're tough four three wounds and no armor right they're they're, they're gonna die pretty easily yeah. yeah at some point there might just be somewhere on the battlefield you need a another couple of attacks you know. particularly in flanks yeah <laughs> Right, yeah. and and uh, Some, somewhere something something's going wrong, or exactly, you know. exactly, and and ideally you want the flight, or or ethereal, or something that allows you to. Um, yeah, the green knight can do that in Bretonia as well. Right, move in unexpected ways. Uh, um, you know, catch the corner that you can see that your opponent, uh, you know, wasn't aware that was available, um, and now you've got this nice extra flank attack to give you. Uh, you know, a couple extra points of, of combat resolution or whatever. So um, uh, in Wood Elves, I have run uh, a noble on an eagle in that um, fashion loads of times. Um, very, very um, successful and a popular build in for elves in general. Um, I think uh, most armies will have something similar, um, even in like lizard men and, and you know, uh, Tomb Kings Empire. I'm not sure about Tomb Kings. Um, in those ones, it, it was a character on a horse, right? So I don't know what character mounts there are in Tomb Kings that are not chariots. Horses. You can't put them on a horse. Cameron Moore Sphinx. Yeah. Necroth Bone Dragon. Flying Carpet. Yeah, the Flying Carpet is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's a magic item that gives you all of that maneuverability. Um, I mean, it. it absolutely it works um and you get some pretty cool models off of it if you model them with wings yeah yeah for sure um 
but that's the role. It's it's the troubleshooter role, right? Um, okay, so the other sort of character role that you get um, is is uh, champion plus plus. Uh, I think is probably the best way to describe it. Um, so you uh, might have a big unit of uh, night goblins. Um, you might have a champion in there already. Um, but for 30 points, you can put a big boss in there um, who's an extra point of leadership. Um, you know, and that's such a small, uh, small buff. And you can give him a great weapon. And, you know, that might uh, tip an extra uh, wound or two in your favor when, when you get charged by Bretonian knights or whatever. Yeah, and these would be the basically NCO characters we were talking about earlier, the hobby horse. Right, exactly right. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Orc and Goblin characters, um, they're mainly there as like linebackers. These guys are here to make sure that your Goblin's units cause an extra wound or six. or Yep, and, and that they maybe rally, <laughs> you know. A notable thing here, um, some units, like, I think, I know of two. There's uh, uh, Way Watchers. Uh, and black orcs, they have to take a character when they uh, are included in an army. Right. So, and that's kind of a character tax a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I assume they would also fall in that same kind of category of uh, NCO level, just at a hero level. They can do. Um, I think it really, it really depends on the uh, on what usage you want to put them to. Um, I think with the black orcs, uh, I would be more inclined to make the black orc. Um, my general and and make him a very fighty kind of general because that's what he wants to be doing um, with the way watcher in that instance I probably want to make him uh, um, a sniper um, you know who because he can shoot characters even though they're in units right he's he's nasty um, what is he called a way stalker yeah way stalker um, and uh, I I may well deploy him separately from the Way Watchers in order to get, you know, different benefits from the unit versus the character. But broadly speaking, yes, I think so. I think, you know, they're they're kind of uh, uh they're there for uh, a unit buffing reason. Um and that that unit buffing reason could be so you could take the unit in the first place. Um, There's no better buff than having a unit. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I think for uh, Black Orcs, they would be the general anyway. Yeah. Um, Definitely the if highest. If you are collecting shot. Orcs and Goblins, do not underestimate <laughs> Black Orc generals. Um, they are tougher, they are stronger, they mean business. Um, putting them in the center of your line is the best way to go. Um, obviously, don't be afraid of having a troubleshooting character or two in your orc and goblins but bear in mind that orcs and goblins normally have things in the army that other characters want to troubleshoot and i'm looking at things like fanatics doom divers anything that is a goblin but is not your common garden variety goblin it's normally a goblin with some kind of trick up his sleeve some 50 point stone thrower which is stupidly cheap well yeah so so absolutely right those that's that's what the troubleshooter is looking for Mm. i don't think he wants to tangle with fanatics particularly right um 
Um, I don't think many things want to tangle with fanatics. No, well, other than so, arrows. So uh, fanatics, right? It's an interesting point. We're not really talking about this, but maybe this is next mixed podcasts. Uh, uh, Art of War. Uh, you know, fanatics, you kind of want to deal with by using the cheapest chaff unit that you can find to run into them and make them explode, right? Uh, Potentially, yeah. I mean, they have changed the rules, I've noticed, on fanatics. They have, yeah. Which, um, it's not what we're talking about right now, though. No, it's not. Not at all, it's but um, for another adventure. Yes, yes. Um, another tale. Another <laughs> tale. So so what what kind of spawned this question was uh, or, or this uh, section was a question that got asked in the discord around, you know, uh, hey, I, I discovered that I have this character and I really love this model and I want to put him in the army. What do I do with him? Um, and so uh, if that is your dilemma and you're you're like, OK, I don't know what this character does, but it's so pretty and I've done a great paint job on it. Um, you know, you can think about uh, the, the easiest one is, um, you know, find the unit that most closely matches that character in terms of uh, fluff and, and equipment and and put them in that unit as kind of a super champion. Um, and you probably won't go too far wrong. That's not that's never a a bad choice, even if it's maybe not the optimal choice. Um, and at least it puts them on the battlefield and gives you some experience with the model. Um, so uh, I think in this case it was a it was a, an empire captain with a pistol and on a like, horse, yeah, on a yeah. horse. So yeah, put him in some outriders and uh, and see what happens. Give him a cool name, yeah, <laughs> and a cool hat. Um, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, give so, him the desire for a cool hat. That's his great quest. <laughs> I think specifically, um, I think, yeah, you could definitely go with the Outriders. Um, could cause a bit bit more damage. Um, could certainly increase their close combat ability. But I think it's worth pointing out that, not mentioning um, any specific characters, but if you have a character that goes with um, any um, unit that is typically melee, Giving them a range weapon suddenly adds a new dynamic to that unit. Gives them a stand and shoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. You know, um, I mean, at some point in, in the battle, battles never go the way that you think they're going to go. Yep. No plans for us contact with the yeah. enemy. Yeah. And, you know, at some point you might want, I mean, I'm talking about fanatics again, even though you can't target them, but yeah, yeah. with shooting, but at some point some you might want to maneuver and shoot something yep or any other crazy thing and it also helps um if you have an army that doesn't exactly behave the way that your opponent expects yep yep absolutely um i think with the uh the super champions as we're as we're calling them um i think uh you can then kind of think about what magic items to give them right um and um, the equipment can really kind of help dictate what it is that they're doing within the the unit. Um, yeah, the the ranged item absolutely makes makes a ton of sense. Um, you can also uh, uh, you, you got to remember that a character can leave and join another unit if they want to. Um, but I think uh, you know if you're if you're uh, if you're struggling to find a role for a character, 
it is absolutely the easiest thing to do is just is just run them with no equipment as kind of like this extra uh, warm body and then you'll you'll get a feel for oh okay now they got into combat and this happened i really wish that my character had had x on them uh, and then that's that's your next list right run that and try that out and and then you get into that comment you're like oh this this weapon was useless even though i really wanted it last time um or whatever else right yeah uh I can imagine putting like the uh, the monster slayer weapon that you can get executioner's blade. I think it's called or something like that. Yep, might just be called the monster slayer sword. Uh, that can be very useful in some lists for your super champions, and it can be terrible in others. Yep, depending on if the opponent has any monsters. Right, and I think monsters are and and monstrous cab are and, and even monstrous infantry. I think they're all affected by that uh, yeah. that blade. So you're probably going to have some use for it. Um. And the other thing you can do is... Then, not against dwarves. Not against dwarves, yeah. Yeah, because gyrocopters don't... They're, no, they, they're monstrous cab. They, they're affected by it, but they're gyrocopters. They don't have stiff breeze anyway. That's true. Um, I Which think, is funny because they fly. <laughs> they fly now. <laughs> um, I think the other thing you can do is you can think about, well, what are the minor roles in the army that I haven't filled yet? So you've got, you've got major roles in the army, and, and I think this is a topic for another Art of War, but, it, you know... Uh, we talked a bit about like hammer and anvil as as a tactic last time. You know those are kind of major roles, right? Um, minor roles are more like, uh, well, do I have uh, somebody that has flaming attacks in case I need to take out some regenerating trolls or whatever else, right? Something that that might give me an advantage. the The really important one is, you know, do I have somebody with magical attacks? Uh, because the last thing you want to do is get held up by a 50-point ethereal unit. Uh, like Spirit Host still in the game, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but you got to take them in as a three now, okay. so it's 150 points for the unit. Okay. But like a Cairn Wraith, like yeah, yeah. at 75 points, fly yeah. him up to a guy, and that unit's stuck. Yep. Ethereal is, is, is a... It's a real gotcha if you're not expecting it, and so you do always want to have uh, you know, some magical attacks in your army, and ideally, you know, if you've got the points to spare, uh, uh, given your champion or your super champion magical attacks, maybe not necessarily a bad thing. Um, other sorts of uh, uh, minority roles, I'm not sure of yet, but I know those ones for sure because of how regen works. Um, but I suspect we're going to start to come across them as the game develops and the meta develops a little bit more. Um, so uh, trying to summarize this all up. Uh, your generals and your 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 characters in general uh, uh, kind of fall into fighty versus support, um, and and think about when you're building them: are you building them as as one or the other, uh, or are you trying to get that middle ground that's kind of okay at both? Um, uh, your my recommendation is make your general killy, make your BSB supporty. Um, and, and then after that, it's about what, and make sure you bring a troubleshooter. Like those are the three things that I would recommend to everybody. Um, and sometimes your general is also your troubleshooter, but you usually you want your general to be your, uh, you know, big, scary, killy thing. And, big blender man. Yeah. Right. Um, or leading a big blender unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there is, uh, on the topic of dwarves as well, uh, question to be asked about magical defense and how useful that is in this edition which i can't really speak to yet as i've not had many games with a lot of wizards in them mm -hmm. but uh 
when you're facing off against a big wizard who's making his unit into a Death Star by buffing him up with, you know, extra attacks and strength and toughness and all that. Uh, and he's casting a Sailment spell, it's going to be really useful to have a Dispelling Wizard uh, or a Rune Lord or Anvil of Doom. Yeah, what's, what's interesting is uh, you cannot, as a wizard, you cannot dispel when you're in combat. Um, so even though you can cast assailment spells, you cannot, uh, you can't dispel that same spell coming at you. <laughs> um, so it means wizard does a little bit more flashy than they are in some other games, right? Um, and I think it means more spells are are going to be successfully cast. Um, and so uh, I think that people are going to rely on magic a bit more to to help give um, you know the edge um and so yeah it'll be interesting to see how that develops right this is again a, a whole meta game that we haven't really discovered yet because because everything's still too new and i'm excited to see how it turns out yeah uh, and there's also a question to be asked about lone infantry and cavalry characters not monstrous at all yeah so uh, i did say that the troubleshooter characters absolutely can be lone cavalry uh lone infantry with with flying if they have it um you know uh I think a lone infantry model um, a, generally has to have a, a, a very specific purpose to to be worth doing, um, partially because you know as soon as they move more than three inches away from another one of your units, they're just going to get um, picked off by shooting and be cheap points. Um, the Waystalker that we mentioned earlier is a good example because he's really hard to shoot with all of his cool stealthy rules, etc. You know there are there are snipery type of of models and assassiny type of models that that kind of do that on their own, but in general, I think uh, a lone infantry really wants to go into a, a unit and and have the protection of all the warm bodies, right? Be in a bunker. Um, I think uh, uh, the cavalry probably wants to do the same. Um, but uh like i said unless they're a troubleshooter unless they're a troubleshooter and even then they can start the game in a unit and and leave it it's a little harder to leave these days because you can't charge out thank uh, god but yes i think that was a good change um uh but um i think having a mounted battle standard bearer yeah might be if you can take it do take it good auto include if you're looking up and down your line and you know that you are going to need a re-roll or it would be nice to have a re-roll over here, keeping him sort of skulking around the back whilst... I mean, I say skulking, he's carrying a massive flag saying, not only here I am, but here we are. Look at but... me, specifically. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that one's a little more dependent on how you've built your army. Um, um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, things that move faster um, are usually better than things that move slower. Uh all thing, all of the things being equal. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, if you can get them mobile, that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I generally like when I run my battle standard bearer. A lot of the time, I'm putting them in a unit, and then I'm, I'm kind of having the center of the army be around the unit that that the battle standard bearer is in. So, all right, men, rank up. We'll charge them in the flanks. Okay, so as we move into the uh, nearing the end of the episode, I'd like to take any questions we've had since the last time and uh, just give some answers to those as best we can. 
uh, with any that we had? Yeah. So I've got a couple of questions. Um, or is it the same question to both of you? Uh, so who wants to, whoever wants to go first. So I volunteer. You, you got, congratulations. You have volunteered for the question. Right. So as you guys are the only ones out of the three of us who's played the current edition and sticking with the theme of characters. So what character did you take in your last game? Or your last few games? Um, in the one I played uh, for the campaign, I took a level four uh, chaos sorcerer uh, with a lore familiar, uh, the lore of demonology. And I loved him. He was great. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, he made the unit of corn chosen that he was in uh, absolutely terrifying. Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Can we get a record scratch? You put a, a wizard. Yep. In a unit, yep, of corn worshipping, yes, chaos knights, uh, chaos uh, warriors. They're just on foot. Got chaos warriors that are on foot. Yeah, yeah. It just shows you how scary his sorcerer must have been if they didn't kill him. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> can Can you see me in my office later? <laughs> There's nothing that says I can't do it. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I just want to talk to you in my office later. <laughs> uh. He ended up making the unit into essentially a block of 13 characters wow. with the amount of damage they were putting out. So he was very definitely a, a supporting... Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, he was less killy than any of the rank-and-file models. Right. He had fewer attacks and less strength. Was he also your general? He was, yes. He was yeah. the only character on the list. Okay. Made sense. Uh, and he was probably my favorite character I've run out of the two lists I've run so far. Uh, the list I ran on uh, at Breakpoint... I had a level one sorcerer with the mark of Nurgle, uh, and he was well. His unit got into combat once, and when it did, it died. Were these Dzinchian chaos warriors by any chance? Or? Uh, no, these were uh, undivided. Undivided. Okay, that's... we 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 won't talk about that one later. But... <laughs> uh, the uh, he was entirely disappointing. He cast a spell one time, and it did zero wounds. Uh, he had Hammerhand. He was just a level one sorcerer. Uh, didn't know if we needed a wizard, so he included the wizard anyway. What I learned from that was that level one's wizards are next to useless. Certainly against dwarfs, they're yeah, they're tricky. Um, unless you've got like a really good spell on a seven plus, I don't think they're really worth taking. What was the other character you took? Uh, Exalted champion. This was my general. He was on a horse uh, with a unit of chosen chaos knights marked with corn. He was great. He was very killy. Uh, just up to the killiness of the unit. Okay, so Killy General, good, supporting wizard, really low level, bad, yeah. um, in in that in that instance. Yeah, I think if I had taken an aspiring champion instead of him and made him a BSB, I think that would have been better <coughs> use of the points. Yeah. So do you think your uh, Call Knight Wizard would have done better against the dwarves? <laughs> yeah, I think so because he wouldn't be affected by the magic resistance because he only really cast enchantments on his own unit. Right. Uh, and he would have essentially made his unit extraordinarily killy and able to outpunch the hammerers that were the bane of my existence. Fair. Okay. Well, I just got this in from um, the old hammer report. Mm. Uh, I need to check the uh, front cover of the Realm of Chaos books regarding Cornate Sorcerers. <laughs> <laughs> so you might not have to see me in the office later. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'll answer the question too, uh, even though you didn't ask me to. Um, I I took the same list uh, all four games. Um, I uh, I took a Tree Man Ancient, um, who was my general, um, and I predominantly took her because I wanted to have a wizard and I didn't have a bunker of of infantry to put uh, an elven wizard in. Um, and so I was just a little worried about the survivability of an elven wizard in a thousand points. Whereas a tree woman uh, very happily survives anything you want to throw at her for quite some time. <laughs> so, so uh, as you said, she never died. She never died. Uh, and uh, I stopped thinking of her as being a big 18 inch leadership bubble and started thinking of her as being an, an attack machine when I took Hammerhand uh, as the... She had battle magic level two, right? So they come as level two wizards. Uh, you can take Hammerhand and and you've got so much potential damage output. Um, and battle magic is great lore. Like it's got a lot of good spells in there. It does. It does. She, uh, in the game against uh, Ben, against the dwarfs, uh, she got Hammerhand and Fireball. And it was just amazing. I've got two shooting attacks and... Uh, and a lot of... <laughs> a so lot you of got a sec, right? Yeah. So Hammerhand... That... You can get behind. But but, yes. Well, maybe. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said for... Um, if you're a tree, you might have a, you know, a unreasonable fear of nails and hammers. and <laughs> Something you might want to work through. This with... particular tree man has uh, giant knife hands. <laughs> yeah. Right, but... But run me through like like fireball, or in fact, you might want to talk to me in my office about fireball and treatment. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. So as someone who who uh, does a bit of woodworking, I I, you know, trees are so inflammable. Um, you know, when they're still alive, it kind of bothers me that they're flammable. But I, I let I let it slide. Um, the other character that I took uh, was a troubleshooter. So this was a hero on a warhawk. Um, he did not have, uh, he had a great weapon and that was about it really. Um, he did not have the, the kind of, uh, necessary survivability to be a great troubleshooter. Um, so what Elf farmer saves will do that to you. Yeah. What Elf farmer saves and no magic items or anything like that. Um, and, and the Warhawk doesn't even give him an extra wound or anything. Um, so so overall i was a little underwhelmed by him uh but given that you know i was squeezing in uh, it was really in there to to kind of see well what does he do without anything um he's monstrous cavalry right uh yes he is so he benefits from lookout sir from what sorry from lookout sir Yes, I mean you can literally run him in a unit of warhawk riders if right you but you can, you can also stick him like near a unit and they can't shoot at him unless he's the closest i does it not have to be? Uh, the Does it same, have to be regular infantry? Same model type? I don't think that's true because you can have a uh, regular infantry and a heavy infantry. Right, but uh, well, so it used to be in Eighth Edition that it, you just had to be infantry. So a monstrous infantry could get uh, you know a lookout mm-hmm. here from regular infantry. Allow me to consult the Book of Armaments. <laughs> yes, consult the Book of Armaments. So what you do differently with this supporting character is probably include him in a unit. I don't think so. I think what I would actually do with him in a in uh is is I would include him in a list that had more points. 
Right. And and I would kit him out better. Um, I would give him something that gave him a bit more survivability. Um, and I would either uh, I, I, my next experiment is to put him on a on a, a great eagle instead of a warhawk. The warhawk gets the benefit of a 360 degree charge because all of his arcs are front arcs. Um, whereas the great eagle actually has, you know, uh, a flank and a rear. Okay. Um, but gives you the benefit of an extra wound and, and more deadly attacks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, and he can still turn 90 degrees after the end of his move. Yes. Which is something I learned, um, you know, with that lumbering rule that they all have. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I probably will put him on an Eagle rather than a Warhawk and I'll give him something to make him a bit, uh, a bit killier, a bit more survivable and see how mm-hmm. he goes. So, it turns out that you all need to have your troop type be infantry or cavalry. That's not a uh, joint unit to be considered a lone ca- character. And okay. since he's monsters cavalry, he counts as car- cavalry. Oh, that's interesting. So, so my big guy on an eagle could could sit beside. A... Uh, he's a monster. No, the eagle's monstrous cow. I, I can never remember the difference. I, I think. Oh, well, on a the hawk. The hawk's the one that doesn't give the wound, right? That's right. Yeah. So that one's monstrous cavalry. Monstrous cavalry. The eagle is a monster. Right, right. Monstrous. Monstrous creature. Creature. Uh, so when a dude is on him, he's still a monstrous creature? Yeah. Okay. They use the unit type of the mount. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so with your little bird, you can keep him within three inches of a unit and he can't be shot at. That is interesting. Uh, he generally doesn't want to be within three inches of a unit. But that is that is really good to know. Um, yeah, so uh, all of these little tidbits, we're still learning about the yeah. game. Um, it, it's very difficult for, for me to say anything conclusively. So I'm just trying to kind of do general principles. <laughs> How are you guys getting on with the um, open order, close order? Skirmishers? Yeah. It's actually really easy once you're playing the game. Yeah. The difference between close and open order is minor. Yep. Close order gets plus one combat res. Open order gets to turn 90 degrees. Yeah. Uh, skirmishers are skirmishers. They're basically on round bases. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's what's interesting to me uh, is is how skirmishers also tend to have open order. Um, and I think there's some interactions there that I haven't had a chance to explore yet. Um, and I'll give a, an example, and then maybe we can wrap up after that. Um is is uh, dryads um, so the dryads uh, I haven't totally given up on them uh, they have skirmisher and open order and they also have stubborn um, and so uh, what stubborn gives you is that when you would have uh, instead of instead of making a leadership test you may fall back in good order automatically right and fall back in good order automatically which uh, you move away and then you get a, a reform at the end of you get a reform at the end of a fallback in good order? Um, I think so. Um, That's That changes things. Wow. I, I think so. Do you want to consult the Book of Armaments? I shall consult the Book of Armaments. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, this was, this was uh, a kind of... Um, this was sent to me on Discord from someone. I can't remember exactly who. Um, and so the, the idea there is that they fall back in good order from being stubborn and... Um, and then they, they've been a they've been a skirmisher screen in front of your more expensive and more squishy troops, um, 
then they they fall back in good order and reform uh, in open order. So now they're all ranked up so that they get the rank bonus um, and then, you know, they can come back into the battle ranked up. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's not going to be amazing, but it, it might be an interesting and unexpected tactic to add uh, a couple of extra uh, points of combat res. You're correct. A mm -hmm. rallied unit may immediately perform a free reform. Right. And the fallback and go to order counts as uh, fleeing and then immediately rallying. Yeah. Yes. All right. So there you go. So that is yeah, very strong. That's interesting, right? And it, that's I think that's true for all skirmishers who are also open order. Anytime they fall back in good order, they can do that. Stop. Anytime anyone falls back in good order. Yeah. Right. Uh, right, for sure. You can you that's when you're gonna pop in and out of these different close order, open order, uh, skirmisher sort of formations that you can do. Um, and I think stubborn gives it to you for you know, gives you an automatic fallback. So Yeah. So you lose your first combat, uh, and then you fall back in good order, reform, and get your rank bonus in the next yep, combat. Yep, exactly. Very useful. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, I think we are. Uh, we shall be back next turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're gonna in good order. bring it to a close here. Uh, if you want to. Uh, participate in the community asking questions you can join our discord at uh, rankandflight.com slash discord we also have a blog where we're posting progress in our campaign and other things at rankandflight.com uh, and other than that we'll see you in the next episode thanks for listening yeah, see ya.